You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this uh, seminar on uh, the local elections in Turkey, uh, which perhaps brought more surprises than expected. Um, this seminar is co-organized between uh, the Swedish Institute of International Affairs and the Stockholm Institute for uh, Stockholm University Institute for Turkish Studies. Um, we have about 90 minutes where we will be discussing the uh, elections and, and what lies ahead. Uh, but before that, we will, of course, listen to our uh, excellent uh, panel that consists of uh, Bitta Hamagrim, who's a senior analyst at the Swedish Research or Swedish Defense Research Agency. Uh, and she's also a uh, senior associate with UI Institute. Um, and Bitta has uh, a long background as a journalist, working as a correspondent correspondent, and not least in Turkey, uh, for the Swedish daily Svenska Dagbladet. I'm also happy to introduce Paul Levin, who's uh, the founding director of uh, SUITS, the Stockholm University in Turkey Studies, uh, and you are also an associate research fellow at the Institute, UI. Uh, welcome. Uh, and last, but certainly not least, we have Genghis Chandar, uh, who's a uh, currently distinguished visiting scholar at Suits and also a senior associate at uh, UI. And for those of you who don't know Genghis, he also has a long background as one of Turkey's main uh, Middle East experts and journalists, and he's also been serving as uh, a special advisor to former President Turgut Özal. Welcome. Uh, so first I'll turn to uh, Bitte. Um, who I have asked to comment on uh, the outcome of the elections. Uh, so, well, Bitte, why don't you start and share us with your main reflection? Thank you, Aras, and it's um, it's very it's it's great to be here with such great co-panelists. And I know that many in the audience are very knowledgeable about uh, Turkey. But allow me to sh um, share a few observations from my point of view. Many thought that these local elections would be predictable, but however, they became a big surprise, and the drama is not over, of course. The political landscape, as we can see, has changed. Uh, it's more colorful as compared to, uh, oh no, as compared to the last local elections, as you can see on this map. And then, now I have the problem because I actually would need to look at the map, but I couldn't. <laughs> but if, if you can see <clears throat> that, uh, the red areas, the CHP areas, have grown in space, so they've taken more municipalities. Uh, the yellow areas have diminished since 2014, and that's the government uh, uh, AKP um, municipalities or provinces. And uh, the uh, purple areas uh, have, I think, th that's the Kurdish areas to the southeast. They have diminished as compared to the green areas in 2014, I know Jengus will speak more about what happened with the Kurdish votes in the southeast. But what's important here is to stress that uh, the HDP, the pro-Kurdish party, 
didn't run for elections in the Turkish West. They asked their voters, sympathizers, to vote for the CHP EU party alliance. So they actually helped the CHP to gain ground. And what's also happening with this map is that we can see that the, the brownish areas from the ultra-nationalist right-wing party has also grown in scope. Uh, the MHP, and they've been with, they are in an alliance with the government party. Now, the important thing is, of course, what happened with the big cities, the big municipalities. And here, the AKP and MHP lost considerably. This is a heavy blow for President Erdogan. And he actually said before the elections that the elections are, the local elections are existential for the nation. Many would say that they are actually existential for himself. Because Istanbul, and this is where the drama is right now, and, and, and people are focusing on, on Istanbul, is the place where he began his political career as a rather young mayor in 1994. This is where he built his platform. It also the biggest city in Europe. And it, it produces some, some sort of one-third of the growth of Turkey. So it's tremendously important. And he has said, you can't govern Turkey if you can't control Istanbul. If we stumble, stumble in Istanbul, we will lose our footing in Turkey. So he had then a candidate who is a loyalist of himself. Binali Yildirim, who's been a, a minister with him, has been a prime minister, who resigned as a prime minister after the change of the constitution, a very uncharismatic person, but he is the loyalist with Erdogan always. And the, the race, when the voting, counting of the votes went on uh, during the election night, uh, showed that there was a very thin margin between him and his contender from the CHP. Uh, Binali Yildirim declared himself the winner before the, all the votes were counted. And after that, the electoral board came out to say, no, the contender, uh, Imamolo, is actually in the lead. And this changed so much. Uh, but the heavy blow for the AKP is also visible in many other major cities of Turkey. They've lost control of cities like Ankara, Adana, Mersin, Antalya, Eskishihir, which are now all controlled by the CHP. And as before, Izmir, the third largest city, is in the hands of the CHP. So what is then the CHP? Well, it's, the, it's Atatürk's old party. Some say it's social democrats. Some say it's uh, national Kemalist. Some say it's pro-military. Some say it's secular. And I think the party comprises of all these features, actually. It's nationalist, like so many other parties in Turkey. But now the CHP, as the main opposition, gaining ground, has actually a, a, a chance to revitalize, to address Turkey's needs for the future. And this is where it stands now. It's, um, it's also so symbolically important if it will officially win Istanbul. But AKP is asking for a recount of the votes, not only in uh, Istanbul at large, but also in the 39 uh, municipal districts which the greater Istanbul area is comprised of. 
But on the election night, Imamolo from the CHP announced himself as being the winner after the Supreme Electoral Board said that he was in the lead. Uh, so, but the drama is not over yet. And who is he? For, well, for many of us, he is a rather anonymous figure. I checked with Wikipedia. There was nothing on Swedish Wikipedia about him, nothing on the German Wikipedia, even though they follow Turkish politics so closely, something on the English Wikipedia. So he's still a very anonymous figure, being the mayor of one of those 39 municipalities in, in <clears throat> Istanbul. But he now, if he will be declared the mayor, he has the chance to change the political landscape in Turkey. And people in the media are already asking uh, him, will you run for the presidential elections in 2023? <laughs> and of course, he has to say humbly that I'm standing here as a mayor for, the, for Istanbul until 2024. But this is where... President Erdogan is being troubled because, of course, it's a reminiscence of his own political career. And Imamolo is talking about the need of transparency in the municipality. The young Erdogan used to talk about the need of anti-corruption. Nowadays, people are claiming him to be the big corrupt leader. But this is sort of a reminiscence again. Well, the final word on this dispute is, of course, with the Supreme Electoral Board. And I think this is the moment which will show whether the institutions like the Supreme Electoral Board pass integrity or not. The campaign of uh, the AKP in these elections differed from previous uh, local elections that I used to follow as a, a journalist. There was uh, less you know, slogans about or uh, about con huge constructions things. It's more about um, identity politics, sort of void of um, ideology, in, in or switching to the ethno-nationalist ideology to which Erdogan has turned himself. And President Erdogan, as you know, uh, used extremely um, agonizing. Uh, alienating language. He was using the video footage from uh, the terror attack in Christchurch in New Zealand and trying to uh, picture his opponents in the West and in Turkey as being Islamophobes. This method backfired because he didn't, uh, wasn't able to mobilize the number of voters that he was expecting to. And I think it has to be mentioned that his method of trying to agonize people here, polarize people, stands as a striking uh, difference to the message from uh, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, who is um, in her way of addressing what happened after the terrorist attack, is being so inclusive, so compassionate, so um, warm, and, and um, embracing the Muslim community in New Zealand and sharing their grief and sorrows. And this is the language that President Erdogan does not use. It's not in his repertoire. And this is also backfiring among those who find that his ways of polarizing the country, this very brutal language, is detrimental for the nation and for themselves. How much, many more minutes do I have? Two minutes. Okay. <laughs> so let's see where we go now. Uh, 
the next election will be in 2023. Erdogan, who once used to be the underdog, actually knows that he would not be the winner if there was a fair chance uh, in an electoral campaign where all the parties could run on an equal um, footing in the media because AKP is, has a complete control of the media today and when it comes to television and, and so forth. So I think we might see a few more surprises down the road uh, for Turkey. And what's also important now is that the ethno-nationalist uh, policies that Erdogan is using in his alliance with the uh, nationalist, ultra-nationalist party MHP, it's also detrimental for his need to, um, to get a recovery of the Turkish economy. And I know Paul is going to speak about that. And uh, so if we conclude, which, who are the winners of this election? Well, the winners is the opposition at large. They found a tactic to fight Erdogan in elections. They know that President Erdogan can be beaten after all. But of course, the next round of elections is very far away. Another winner is, of course, the CHP. But also in a sense. The hidden winner is the MHP, the ultra-nationalist party, because they are sort of steering uh, from uh, the back seat, because they are um, in, in such a tight alliance with President Erdogan, he is now applying their policies. It's going to be a long time until the next elections. A lot may happen before that, but Turkey, as always, is full of surprises. Thank you. Thank you, Bitten. Uh, now I'll turn to Paul. Uh, Bitte briefly mentioned the economy. Um, and as of March, Turkey is currently in a state of recession. Uh, it has a high level, uh, well, the unemployment rate is high, uh, inflation is high, etc. So I'm wondering if you could uh, touch upon why or what role did the economic crisis play in this election? Yes, I'd be happy to do that. And my role will be sort of as somebody who translates what the economists say about the Turkish economy. There are people here who could give you a better economic analysis, but you'd have to pay them, I think, uh, dearly uh, these days. Um, essentially, the, uh, the AKP is usually credited with shepherding the economy very well uh, in the first period of, of uh, uh, its rule from 2002 and onwards. It had high economic growth, uh, stable uh, inflation figures, and so on. But um, what uh, economists have, have been, been pointing out for some time is that what the AKP should have been doing during these years of economic growth and stability is they should have uh, pursued uh, a different growth model. They should have uh, attempted to invest highly in research and development and in, in trying to uh, uh, ensure that Turkey doesn't fall into uh, what's often described as this middle income trap where you, uh, instead uh, you develop industries uh, that are able to produce a high uh, value added to 
capture the goods that you sell um, and you, you uh, sort of uh, jump up to the next league. Um, they should have enacted structural uh, reforms. Uh, instead, what the AKP has been doing under Erdogan uh, for, uh, for some time is they've been pursuing rather short-sighted uh, economic policies. Uh, um, the... Uh, it could be described as pursuing and picking the low-hanging fruit, the easy targets. Uh, it's, a, it's a growth model that is based very heavily on fixed investments and construction. Um, so you have these mega projects, um, uh, the construction of large bridges, of roads, of uh, uh, tunnels, of uh, airports, and now there are plans for a uh, new um, uh, uh, a new Bosphorus, essentially, if I can. Oh, I'm going backwards, sorry. Uh, here we go. So, I mean, Toki, the uh, uh, government agencies and government corporations uh, uh, like Toki, which is a large construction uh, corporation, uh, government-owned and operated, is sort of a symbol of, of this uh, fixed investment and construction-based uh, economic model. Um, and it's stimulated, in part, uh, by uh, easy credit. So what we've seen in Turkey is a, a rapid growth from rather low levels, but rapid growth uh, in in uh, uh, private uh, uh, debt levels. And a lot of these debts, a lot of the corporate debts, uh, are in uh, foreign currencies, which means that they're very uh, uh, sensitive to currency fluctuations. Uh, if you borrow in, in dollars uh, and you have income in, in Turkish lira, it's going to be very expensive uh, if, you, if the lira drops. Um, so um, why have they done this? Well, for one thing, uh, Erdogan has pursued rather populist policies across the board, not just in economics. Uh, so it's uh, sort of, you know, uh, it fits the, the, the general economic or general policies that he's been pursuing. But it's, there's also another dimension to this that I think it's important to mention, and that is that uh, economics and, and has been... Uh, it, control over public goods, including government offices uh, on local, municipal, uh, provincial, and uh, national level, including access to government contracts, uh, to lucrative, lucrative deals uh, with corporations like, like uh, Toki, um, access to uh, and sale of public assets and public uh, land, and all these things. They have not just been an, a, a means, a vehicle by which the AKP have stimulated the economy quite easily, but they have also been instruments by which you reward loyalists, uh, you create your own cadre, your own uh, cadres of, of, uh, of people. It's called kadrolashmak in, in Turkish, there's even a term for it, within the bureaucracies on all level, uh, and you sort of punish uh, the, the opponents. Um, so, uh, and this in the uh, political science literature goes under various different terms, uh, uh, but one tongue twister is neo-patrimonialism. It's a new kind of patrimonial system. We have patron-client relationships. And I think this is really in in integral to understanding uh, the Turkish e political um, economy. Um, 
Another sort of basic underlying problem in the Turkish economy that most economists uh, keep harping on about is what uh, the long-standing current account deficit, uh, right? It's essentially that Turkey, a country like Turkey, uh, imports more and buys more than it produces and sells abroad, all right? So it needs to finance that somehow, and it does that by influx of, of uh, 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 capital. Um, and a lot of that... Uh, capital. It's been easy during a long period of time because of the global uh, economic climate and the, the policies of the American uh, Central Bank, the Federal Reserve. Um, but a lot of this money is sort of hot money uh, that's easily converted and easily pulled out. So you have a situation where a lot of economists have been worried about uh, a debt crisis, where the easy hot money that's flowing in suddenly stops when the markets lose uh, confidence in the Turkish uh, economy. Um, so in part, this fear uh, uh, manifested itself in a, uh, a currency crisis that we, we have, have seen. And I think this slide, which is just the, the US-Turkish uh, uh, exchange rates uh, since uh, 2014, um, it, it shows two things. One is that you have had these dramatic spikes. Let's see if I can. Yes, so you've had uh, dramatic spikes, and this is the Pastor Brunson crisis of 2018, where you had this diplomatic spat between uh, Erdogan and Trump, where Trump wanted Erdogan to release an American pastor, and he imposed sanctions, and the, the, uh, the markets feared uh, staying in Turkey, and they, they speculated against the lira pulled out. Um, and that was resolved temporarily with the release of Brunson, among other things. Uh, just the week before the election, we had another spike, uh, a, a lira crisis. Um, so, it, but it, so it shows that these you have these temporary spikes that make a, a, a big difference. And you know, this up here is untenable for those who hold loans in dollars, right, and have to uh, pay them back, and they have income in Turkish lira. But it also shows another thing: it's that it's not just a single diplomatic incident. Erdogan blamed it all on the United States. But it also shows that you know inflation and or I'm sorry, uh, exchange rate changes and depreciation of the lira is a long-standing uh, negative trend uh, in in Turkey. Um, let's see. Where am I? Um, here. <laughs> Um, so one of the things that this does, and so it, it, it means it's if you add the high private debt levels and you uh, you have the, the knowledge that a lot of those debts are in dollars and you add this exchange uh, level rates, you understand that this creates real problems. And this is one of the main concerns for a lot of economists, namely, are Turkish uh, corporations going to be able to pay off their loans? So you have a, a growth in, in NPLs, non-performing loans, and that creates vulnerabilities in the banking sector, in the financial sector in, in Turkey. And um, the cent Turkish Central Bank has to step in and sort of shore up uh, banks, and it's been using a lot of its uh, uh, currency, foreign exchange reserves, in order to do so. Those reserves were quite significant, but they were not sufficient. They're now down to, I think, 30 billion US dollars. Uh, and I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's about 40 billion dollars uh, of, of debt that is maturing over the next 12 months. 
Um, so there's a, there's a, uh, some uh, concern as to whether Turkey is going to be able to to uh, pay off su uh, sufficient uh, uh, um, a number of, of these debts. So what is all this sort of uh, mismanagement then led to? Um, well, it's led to the current recession um, that Aras mentioned, where recession is defined as you know two quarters of, of uh, uh, continuous negative uh, of, of, of contraction, negative growth. Right now, it's about 2.4 percent negative growth from the previous period. Um, a little bit unfairly, I'm using uh, 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 the, the the fourth quarter of 2016 as a, uh, as an example. Uh, as a starting point, but it shows anyway, the red marker here is Turkish economic uh, growth change in percent. Uh, here's a zero point. Anything below this point is negative growth. It's contract contraction. Two quarters means you're in a recession. And this, uh, by comparison, is just the OCD, uh, OECD average. We also have um, high, a high inflation. Uh, this is inflation from about 2000, uh, 2005 until 2018, again, with OECD average and the individual OECD countries. You see there are other countries that are uh, you know, struggling with these things, but Turkey quite stands out when it comes to inflation, which is right now at around 20%. Uh, percent. And, uh, um, uh, and then, of course, also the real economy. A lot of corporations are not able to operate. There's a lot of bankruptcies, uh, and there's a lot of unemployment. So you have unemployment going up steadily here since 2012. You can see a rather steady uptick in unemployment, which is around 12% right now. And I think this is the context, the real economy, where people see that their money do not suffice to buy groceries and economic goods, and where their sons and daughters who graduate college are not able to find jobs, etc. This explains the backdrop uh, to, to Sunday's um, election. Um, and, uh, the, and the government made attempts to try to combat this. Now, they fought off a lira uh, run, uh, you know, fears of uh, speculation against lira by raising interest rates on the swap uh, market uh, in, in uh, London to try to stop uh, foreign investors to speculate against the lira the week before the election. Um, that, I think, may have temporarily solved the problem, but it also created a lot of uh, additional worries and concerns among investors. So good for the short term politically, bad for the long term, which kind of symbolizes the kinds of economic policies they've been, they've been pursuing. And this, huh? And this right here are government-operated uh, grocery stands to the de detriment and anger of the other manav, the, the grocery uh, salesman, I, uh, I assume, but where the government goes in and provides cheap uh, groceries uh, uh, and produce to, to um, uh, their, their clientele, or to the people, in order to try to assuage people's concerns. Uh, it didn't work, right? Um, so the question is now, um, uh, the question is now, I should have, I guess I should have put page numbers on these notes, <laughs> but uh, I didn't, so I'm, uh, next time I'll do that. Uh, uh, 
So what about the road ahead? A few words on, on uh, what's coming. Well, you know, economists use the word rebalancing, right? Rebalancing is kind of a clinical term in many respects. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's unemployment, it's uh, poverty, increasing poverty, it's real hardship for a lot of uh, real people in, in the real economy. And that's what the, the Turkish economy is doing now. The current account deficit that I mentioned, uh, the, Turkey's chronic problem, right now it's turning into a, a slight surplus. And that's at the back of this very difficult recession because people aren't importing. They can't buy, afford to buy foreign goods, okay? So it looks good on paper that you have a current account deficit and it's necessary to rebalance, but it's not really a sign that things are, are good. Um, okay, um, uh, so one of the big questions that economists are debating now is, Sure, we're going to see some kind of recovery, uh, most likely, but what kind of recovery will we see and at what speed? Is it going to be a V-shaped recovery like we've had in earlier uh, financial crises like the, the 2001 crisis, for example, uh, and also after the global financial crisis uh, where the economy bounded back rather quickly? Or will we see a U-shaped recovery that's going to take a little longer, but that's going to go back up again? Or are we going to see an L-shaped recovery? where you have more of the same uh, uh, struggles ahead. Well, what needs to be done? I've already set out what needs to be done. Turkey needs, according to most economists, needs to, to define a new economic growth uh, model. Will they be able to do that? Or will they fall again prey to the sort of attraction of, of uh, uh, easy credit to stimulate the economic uh, uh, the economy? Will they be forced to turn to the IMF for a bailout package? That's something uh, that's debated. It looked quite likely uh, last year. Maybe now there's uh, more of a reprieve but it could turn uh, bad quite quickly if there is a lack, uh, a loss again in confidence in the markets in Turkish ability to to uh, reform, and this and the, the ability of the central bank uh, if it runs out of foreign exchange reserves uh, needed to help pay off uh, all the debts. So for the AKP and for the CHP mayors, what's up uh, for them? Al Bayrak, uh, the finance minister, economy minister, and also the the, uh, the president's son-in-law, he has uh, developed a new economic plan that he presented before the elections and and uh, instantly uh, shelved it during the campaign, essentially. But uh, the markets have been waiting for April 8th, where he has said that he's going to produ uh, produce a new plan uh, to, to move ahead. The question is, uh, will it be um, a, a radical change, or will it be more of the, the same? Uh, the markets expect, I think, sensible economic policies. Will he deliver that in words? Probably will he deliver that in deeds? It remains to be seen. Erdogan is a pragmatic politician uh, in many respects. But he's a politician that has gotten used to running a country in a perpetual uh, mode of campaign, right? You've had, on average, one election every year uh, over the past 10 years. And those elections, he's won them until now, as, as Bitha just pointed out, by polarizing the electorate and by providing uh, economic growth, but also uh, populist economic policies. That's not going to uh, work anymore. So will he be able to switch that now? Um, and will he be able to switch that now with the opposition controlling the largest five, four of the five largest cities, uh, which and, and cities that represent some 60% of the econ economy? And what will their control over these cities 
these cities that have been so important for this neo-patrimonial governance system, whereby you provide goods and services for your loyalists, um, this has been at the core of the AKP's governance model uh, de facto. What does the loss of these cities mean for the AKP politically? I think that's a key question to be uh, answer, uh, seen ahead. And finally, I know I'm over time, but finally, just because things are tough for the AKP doesn't mean that they're easy for the opposition. Uh, the opposition, the CHP, has now won the mayorships of these key cities. Now they have to show that they're able to do what they haven't been able to do in the past, that is, govern successfully and effectively in the future. Um, and um, that's, uh, they will be doing so during tough economic times, a rebalancing, and with a president who holds a lot of economic power and who will not be willing to cooperate. So tough, tough times ahead, I think. Thank you, Paul. Um, I will... <clears throat> I will soon come back with uh, follow-up questions for both you and Bitte, but first I would like to welcome Genghis into the discussion as well. Uh, Genghis, in Erdogan's uh, balcony speech on the uh, election night, he had a quite soft tone, uh, but he also opened for, uh, well, he, he basically said that Turkey is entering a period of uh, focusing on national security, he mentioned Syria, etc. And I guess this also has some, perhaps, connection to uh, Southeast of Turkey. Uh, Can we get rid of these peppers and the <laughs> eggplants and see the election map? Uh, yeah, OK. So, uh, well, the last, uh, the, the, the recent one, uh, 2019. Uh, the last one. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, with the one, perhaps, the previous local oh, election. Yeah, yeah, so, so with, with the one. Yeah, right, okay, with, very good, okay. So ju I, I just um, want to start by um, commending UE and Swiss for initiating this conference. Uh, after all, it's about local elections, and it's very rare, I think, just uh, less than 48 hours of time. Uh, uh, such esteemed institutions like UE and Swiss uh, should have been initiating to interpret the local elections of a certain country. But when it is Turkey, it seems it is more than local elections, what is at stake. So um, the, uh, it, it reflects the clairvoyance of Aras, Paul, maybe having us here under this title the, the, to examining what would we interpret out of the local elections we had in Turkey, as I've said, less than 48 hours ago. Um, and I, I have to add, uh, before just responding to your question, Aras, that these elections, local elections, whatever elections it was, was anything but free and fair. This was not free and fair elections at all. And since the year 1946, when the uh, Republic of Turkey used to have elections, and a lot, local, general, referendums, plebiscites, uh, countless elections. This has been the election uh, which has been uh, uh, unscrupulously manipulated, where the government and state institutions were used for one end, uh, uh, and uh, the, the, the opposition was suppressed. The media did not let the opposition to appear. Uh, and and the, the, the Constitution, despite all those amendments to the favor of power, is violated 
so many times during this election campaign. And therefore, whatever we have to be talking about these elections, we have to take uh, the, 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 the measure that these elections were not fair and free. So it's very important analyzing the, the results of these elections within the framework of uh, this not being uh, even a free and fair election and uh, yielded uh, the, the, the results that it did. Uh, and we have to be uh, also, quote unquote, uh, thankful to President Erdogan, which transformed these elections from being uh, merely municipal elections to, to, to get mayors to be elected into a kind of a plebiscite for his rule. Uh, and uh, uh, I should say that he lost. He lost by winning. Because uh, after all, uh, the, when you see the colors, uh, AKP, his party that he leads, he, he got 44.3%. And his uh, staunch ally, the nationalist, ultra-nationalist MHP, uh, which you see with brown spots on the map, added uh, 7.3. So altogether, the uh, power configuration in Turkey, that coalition, which they call themselves the public alliance in Turkish Cumhur Ittifakı, they make up uh, nearly 51.6%, roughly very close to what Mr. Erdogan uh, got elected uh, last year in, in uh, June uh, 2018. It was 52.2. Uh, now they have altogether 51.6. That means he is endorsed. No, he is not. He lost these elections because these elections was not about this map. The elections were about Istanbul, Ankara, and some main uh, uh, cities who are considered as the engines of Turkey's economy and social change. And also it was about uh, how uh, the southeast part of Turkey, for some uh, called the Turkish Kurdistan, how it would uh, respond uh, to these elections. Because in the last three years, uh, the, the, the party who uh, led uh, the, uh, all electoral processes in some time and controlled the, the uh, lo uh, local power, uh, was decimated. Uh, uh, nearly 10,000 party workers, members of HDP, considered the pro-Kurdish party, are either in jail or detained. And, uh, and, and many municipalities uh, in that part of Turkey were ruled by trustees appointed by Ankara, by Mr. Erdogan and his interior minister. And uh, those elected mayors in those parts of Turkey were either in jail or out of office. So uh, these elections would be an uh, uh, indicator how uh, the, the Kurdish part of uh, the Kurdish segment of Turkey would respond. So uh, from these measures, when we uh, see a loss of the capital city of Ankara, which has been governed by non-opposition uh, mayors since the year 1994 is lost. The, the loss of Ankara would be very traumatic for Mr. Erdogan. But the apple of the eye, the crown of the jewel called Turkey is Istanbul. And as we have seen in some poster, it was his 
private personal love affair. He, he, he was born in Istanbul, grown up in Istanbul, and he started his rise from Istanbul by getting elected mayor of Istanbul in the year 1994. And Istanbul is the industrial, commercial, and intellectual hub of Turkey, and Istanbul is more than Turkey even. It, is, it has been the center for Balkans, uh, Caucasus, uh, Central Asia even, and the Middle East. So it's, it, it, it's more than a metropolis, it's more than even a megapolis. So uh, Istanbul was very, very important, and losing Istanbul with Ankara, which was unthinkable for many, uh, would be a disaster. Uh, for for Erdogan, even if you if you would win the rest of the country, and adding to this, two uh, uh, places Ankara and Istanbul, losing, there are certain uh, uh, symbolic places, Bursa, which has been uh, narrowly won by Mr. Erdogan, Antalya, here on, on, on the corner which is uh, the fifth largest, Bursa is the fourth largest city, Antalya here is the fifth largest city, and it's the tourism capital of Turkey. And Adana, right here, uh, uh, it is the sixth largest city and an industrial hub also, a very important city. And plus Mersin next to Adana between Antalya and on the Mediterranean coast, we see Mersin. It is the tenth largest city, but it's the largest port of Turkey after Istanbul. So if those centers would be lost, adding Diyarbakir, the, the, the uh, spiritual uh, uh, and the political capital of Turkish Kurdish population, and one um, at the end, which is also a very important big uh, center in, in terms of uh, representing the other parts of the Kurdish population of Turkey. If they would be lost with Mardin uh, to the south uh, uh, of Diyarbakir next to this yellow area, then altogether losing them, which I repeat was unthinkable prior to elections, uh, so altogether that would be catastrophic losing them. Ankara, losing Ankara alone would be traumatic. Losing Istanbul, Ankara would be catastrophic, uh, disastrous. And altogether, with uh, the, 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 the uh, places I just listed, that would be catastrophic. And it is, it is what has been done. It is catastrophic for uh, the Mr. Erdogan. And, and uh, so uh, we have a new, new political picture and new political and economic uh, process to be unleashed in the country. So in, the, in this sense, these elections were more than local elections, and they, they, they have been uh, the milestone. If I come to the Kurdish area, there is one uh, spot there, uh, uh, yellow area, which was won by AKP. Don't forget the yeah, yeah, this is Shirnak. Yeah, this is Shirnak, which is won. Uh, by 60% of the votes uh, for the AKP, the ruling party, uh, Mr. Erdogan's party, and uh, 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 which was overwhelmingly pro-HDP prior, uh, they got only 30%, which was unthinkable how it happened. 
it's easy to understand if uh, you are well versed on Turkish uh, political developments. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, where is my Here, the town of Şırnak, in the events of the year two, two years, 2015 and 2016, are, is devastated. 70% of the town of Şırnak is gone. Rubble. And the, the population of Şırnak emigrated, left, left the city. Today, only 40, even the 40% of those who left the town are not back to their towns yet. And in the last few months, the town is transformed to be a garrison. There are 16,000 policemen and military personnel registered as voters who are not from Shirnak. So they voted, and the people of Shirnak couldn't vote, and the result is 60% AKP, 30% HTP, and yesterday there was parades with the military trucks celebrating the electoral victory. The military trucks are celebrating an electoral victory in Shirnak. But interestingly, in the province itself, this is the Shirnak province, and here the, the town right here is Jizre, one of the strongholds of the Kurdish national movement. And, and it's also devastated, but the people of Jizre is there, and in the previous elections, the voting uh, p p pattern, more or less, was around 90% for HDP. Jizre is won again by HDP, and altogether in the province, the, the entire uh, uh, province of Shirnak, uh, which reflects in the, the, the provincial councils, the vote uh, uh, ratio is 55% uh, for HDP, 35% for the AKP. So um, if you just uh, take the measure of the provincial uh, the reflection on the, the city councils or the provincial councils, the color has to be different. If you only take the, the, the uh, town, the, the, the uh, center of the province, that's why it's yellow. But overall, uh, when you see the, the, the uh, main, uh, main uh, the, the uh, critical mass of the Kurdish people of Turkey uh, and the Kurdish politics, Diyarbakır, Mardin, Batman, Siirt, once upon a time in the year 2003, in a by-election, Erdogan was elected from Siirt because his wife is from that province. She's not a Kurd, she's Arab ethnically. Anyway, but there is this emotional uh, uh, background to, to uh, Mr. Erdogan's career about Siirt. So, uh, Van, province of Van, huge province, and Hakkari, uh, uh, the, the southeasternmost uh, province of Turkey, adjacent to Iran and Iraq, both Kurdistans of Iran and Iraq, of course. And uh, these provinces, uh, Kars and Iğdır, uh, psychologically very important uh, because the composition of those provinces are, uh, uh, it's multi-ethnic, Kurdish and Azeri, and the, the autochthon uh, 
people of those areas. So it, it, they were uh, ethnically very polarized uh, uh, provinces where the Kurds and the Azeri dash Turkish factor was important. And they are won against MHP by uh, uh, HDP. Uh, and here, uh, Dersim, uh, HDP had the municipality there. It lost to Turkish Communist Party. And the, 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 the mayor who got elected yesterday said, we had differences on the local level, but we will keep our alliance with HDP. So you, you can just put that part also to, to the Kurdish identity element. But more importantly about this HDP, uh, the, the role that they played uh, in the western part of the country. Because in the east, they competed in the elections by their own candidates, and they got the major centers back from those uh, appointed uh, trustees. In the western part of the country, they said, they uh, uh, followed a very uh, uh, wise strategy, and uh, uh, they declared that they will not uh, nominate anybody, but they would ask their constituencies to support the opposition candidates. And only two days uh, before the vote, uh, HDP's jailed uh, uh, and very popular leader, former chairman Selahattin Demirtas, from his prison cell, sent a message saying that we will never forget uh, uh, the agony we passed through. So put a stone on your hearts. That is a Turkish uh, saying. But if I have a slightest influence on you, please go to the ballot boxes and cast your votes for the opposition candidate. So this change in Istanbul which HDP had 11% constituency. And Antalya, Mersin, and Adana with sizable Kurdish inhabitants, plus Izmir, uh, which would already be one and Aydın, these two uh, provinces by the CHP, but the, 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 the ratio of the votes the distance between the, 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 uh, the CHP winners, the opposition, main opposition winners and the ruling party's candidates are much different. And so the, the uh, balance was tipped thanks to HDP strategy and the Kurdish vote. So Kurds beca uh, have become, once again, through their political vehicle, HDP, uh, very instrumental in and be become, has, have become very decisive in shaping up uh, the Turkish political landscape uh, with a bearing upon the future. I will just conclude uh, uh, shortly uh, in, in, in a couple of minutes. Uh, let me just remind you that in the 1989, uh, the main opposition, uh, the forerunner of today's CHP, it was SHP, the Social Democratic Populist Party, it was named at the time, had won uh, more or less a similar electoral victory against President Turgut Özal's motherland party. And Özal had said that a, a huge crane 
passed over our bodies. He conceded the defeat. And, and then he ran for the presidency because the parliament would elect the president. So uh, still, uh, when the parliament was under the control of his motherland party, he made himself to get elected as president. But after two years, 1991, uh, his party lost the elections. And for uh, a decade, Turkey was ruled by parties other than the motherland party. And motherland party now, it's no more there. So local elections of 1991, uh, 1989, if we take it as a yardstick, these elections are very important in the sense to spell the beginning of the end in, in the sense of uh, uh, Mr. Erdogan's and his party's power. But there is also a very basic difference, of course. At that time, Turkey was uh, under parliamentary rule. Now we have uh, this presidential government, executive presidential system. It's totally a different system. Secondly, uh, after uh, 1989, we had elections in on 1991. But now the elections are far beyond. Uh, in the year uh, the, uh, 2023. So, until then, what might happen? But before, just let me uh, uh, remind you of a, a very uh, illuminating uh, uh, statement that I read in today's Washington Post editorial. Because in the editorial, it says too much about everything. It says the defeat of his, meaning Erdogan's, handpicked nominees in the big uh, cities driven by a massive turnout, 83% uh, of voters, sent an unmistakable uh, message that Turks are uh, uh, <clears throat> tiring of his strongman style and uh, the country's democracy, uh, although in life uh, support, still violent life sport still breeds. So Turkey is a country, unlike the, the totalitarian regimes of Eastern and Central Europe during the Cold War or the Arab countries, although the democracy is uh, uh, in, in life sport, it still breeds. So uh, as much it breeds, such an outcome of the elections are indicated uh, on these maps. So for this uh, upcoming four and a half years, what can be expected? I, I wouldn't go into detail, but just uh, let me uh, just convey you an anecdote that I had from a conversation I had yesterday by somebody very relatively close to Mr. Erdogan and the power. He told me that from now on, everything is about economy. Either, he said, Mr. Erdogan will knock on the doors of the IMF and invite IMF and apply uh, the reform plan to be introduced and endorsed by IMF, which means in two, three years, he can improve everything in Turkey, but with a bill, he will lose the elections in the year 2023. Or, he said, he will try to, to sell the assets, that economic assets that Turkey is having right now, 
to keep up the status quo, that means after a year he will collapse. The country will implode. So the choice for Mr. Erdogan will be to opt between two sorts of deaths, to die in that way or in this way. The, the important thing with the 44.3% uh, uh, of election victory, he lost the election, and here we are. But of course, uh, uh, the, the, the country's, uh, the, 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 the foreseeable future of the country in the short uh, uh, period to come is quite gloomy in every sense. He could be very repressive also, just uh, to, as I have to say that he could be very repressive against the Kurds. And in order to mobilize and, uh, uh, the nationalist uh, support and enhance or consolidate his nationalist coalition, he needs Kurds to fight against. Uh, and, and therefore, uh, these elections hopefully might bring tolerance, more tolerance to Turkey, but probably it might bring more uh, repressive rule and uh, gloomier uh, prospects in the foreseeable future for Turkey. Thank you, Genghis. I would like to ask all of you, actually, uh, a pretty open question. Let's see who, who wants to answer first. Um, looking on these elections, um, it surely brought some surprises. Uh, yet, Genghis mentioned that, that uh, the elections were anything but free and fair. Uh, still, the opposition uh, was able to uh, send a message to, to the AKP government. Um, what is the state of, uh, well, the resilience of Turkish democracy in general? Uh, and also, now that, um, that uh, CHP seems to win Ankara and Istanbul, it should be noted that, that uh, AKP has contested results in those cities. Uh, now that CHP seems to have won these cities, uh, at least to my knowledge, this is the first example of power transition where, in larger scale, where AKP is kind of backing down from power. And what does it mean for the future? Uh, and how important also is this on a national level? So much as <clears throat> I think one thing can be said that the civil society in, in Turkey is it's severely wounded by all the arrests and purges and people in prison and, and etc. But it, it's still there and it's 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 wounded, but it's still working and it's working in a, when it can in a very smart way. And they learned lessons from previous elections, like in the local elections in 2014, there were. Surprisingly, lots of power cuts in the country at the time when there was, uh, they were counting the votes. And there were especially power cuts in places like Ankara and in, uh, in, in, um, in, in the southeast in some places where there was a tight race in, uh, between parties. The power cuts that happened all over the country, in many places in the country, were blamed on cats at the time, cats in the power plants. Now. The opposition learned from that, and they organized a, um, a, a sort of monet monitoring body um, uh, offering um, uh, political parties to send monitors for the vote counting in any polling station or the urticy. And I, I think they really are able to mobilize people for the elections now. 
this is a way that you can see how the opposition is mobilizing. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I think, like I said before, this is the moment when the CHP has the chance to revitalize, to try to uh, address the real concerns of Turkey and to leave aside the, <laughs> the old formula for the CHP. There are lots of challenges that they need to address now and it's, it's time for them to rethink because they've sort of gone over the magic 30% threshold. Uh, the, the leader of the party, Kilic Dadolu, didn't manage that in the parliamentary elections, but now they've done it so nationwide in the, uh, in the local elections. So this is a, a fine moment for the opposition here. Yeah, I think you, just to reinforce part of what Bitte said and then add one more point about power transition. I, it's a victory for the opposition uh, in, in more, more ways than one. It's a victory for their electoral uh, organization, in a sense. Like in, in the past previous election, their, their voting alternative voting count uh, system completely failed and collapsed. Uh, this time it looks like, according to what I have, the information I have, is that they had all the, the, the signed slips from the ballot boxes so that they actually put the, uh, the AKP in front of a fait accompli. It was very difficult, I think, as far as I understand, to uh, essentially cheat their way to a win, like they most likely did in Ankara in 2014 in the local election. This is probably Mansur Yabash's second victory uh, to, uh, to be to be honest, uh, we have Eric Meishon here who has written uh, eloquently about the, the uh, statistical indications of, of voter fraud in Turkey. Um, but the second point that I wanted to make is about this, this whole, uh, you know, the, the power transition. Because it's not like in Sweden where a new government comes in and you exchange the cabinet and then you exchange the, the top level of political appointees within the, the Swedish foreign, uh, the ministries, uh, and then maybe some director generals, and you appoint new director generals. No, this is a spoils system now, where each individual uh, person at the top of one ministry and so on, they have their cadres, right? Uh, so how is the CHP going to do, what are they gonna do now with the, the, the cities, the, the vast bureaucracies that the AKP and MHP during their long, long, long uh, tenures in these cities uh, have uh, appointed. Are they going to appoint new loyalists? Are they going to try to rely on these new uh, or the, the old uh, cadres of the AKP? Uh, that's a, a big challenge, but it also means that it's going to be much more tumultuous and it's going to be power struggles on very, uh, you know, deep levels that can be also, I think, uh, uh, quite, you know, perhaps traumatic. Angus? Um, just going back to, to the, the loss of uh, uh, Antalya, Mersin, Adana, uh, Istanbul, uh, after all, of course, that the importance of these places, that these are powerhouses for any kind of political organization. And that's how uh, AKP could afford to uh, just construct its power. They generate money, and through money, an economy, I mean, power. So when they are lost, um, it seems if they are not regained, uh, they cannot be regained by uh, some ulterior ways. It will be very difficult for, for uh, uh, the AKP to sustain 
its mechanism. It's no more a political party. Uh, AKP was used to be a political party until two, three years ago, but it's no more a political party. There is this uh, 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 Erdogan and his family and psychophants around him, and people who just make money out of uh, uh, contracting deals given to them through these uh, local administrations, through these municipalities. And since two years, the big issue, the leadership of the, the party conceded the loss. Erdogan is not very enthusiastic coming up and making speeches and saying that uh, we, we will get back Istanbul, there is rigging, or because it, it's, 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 uh, uh, it's weird that the opposition can make rigging under such an autocratic control system. The, the rigging is mostly done by, by the party in power, as they have done earlier. So, uh, but the, the big noise, the, the appeals for a recount, re-examination of the votes come from the, uh, the, the lower levels of the party who, who will be losing too many things if these uh, provinces, these centers uh, would be lost. Uh, so I don't think that uh, anything would come out uh, uh, from these uh, appeals of re-examination. Just to remind that, until uh, yesterday, early morning yesterday, many of us, including myself, I should admit, were thinking that Erdogan would not reconcile himself to give Istanbul. He would do everything in his power, cheating, rigging, uh, uh, just mobilizing uh, paramilitaries to the streets in order to keep Istanbul. He wouldn't care less. And the vote count all of a sudden in Turkish time, 11.21 uh, p.m., stopped. There was no count in Istanbul. It was only 1.2% was left to be counted, and the difference was 4,000 to the benefit of the uh, uh, candidate of the ruling party, we, and the, the last two uh, uh, districts to be counted that would uh, uh, put its data into the system was Kadıköy and uh, uh, Beşiktaş. In the, the latter one, uh, it's known that CHB had a 76% uh, lead, and in Kadıköy it's 67, 68% lead. So that means and there would be uh, 1,020, uh, 120,000 votes to be counted. That means that 4,000 difference would be uh, overcome in, in, in the meantime. And so it's, the vote count stopped for every one of us. And we were in contact with <coughs> uh, people in Turkey also and reading and hearing and what's going on. The consensus was until early morning, Mr. Erdogan will find a way to retrieve Istanbul. He couldn't. He couldn't. Something happened, whatever that something is, the balance of power domestically and internationally prevented him to retrieve Istanbul, which means, uh, proceeding from here, uh, the loss of these Parts of the country are, are so is so important that 
in, in the near future, we might uh, witness cracks in, in, in the power structure of uh, the ruling party and its alliance, so splits and so on. So there are two ways. Either you will be even more repressive uh, with a full grip on the country, or you will concede with the developments how they would unfold, as Mr. Erdogan couldn't do anything until uh, early morning yesterday. And, and of course, it needs some wisdom of the opposition as well. Uh, uh, then we could be hopeful, uh, and coming back to your uh, gist of your question, uh, so we could be more hopeful for uh, the, the future of Turkish democracy. At least it breeds still. Uh, on, on life support, it still breeds, as uh, the, all these uh, the, the results uh, indicated uh, to us. So, um, the, uh, and we have to be hopeful also in one sense that a new generation is uh, popping up in the ranks of the CHP. Uh, Paul was mentioning of the, the, the uh, monitoring of the uh, ballot tax. Uh, just before coming here a few hours ago, I read uh, uh, in, in the social media uh, that the deputy chairman of the Istanbul branch of Istanbul uh, sending the, uh, a tweet saying that all they didn't leave their positions sitting on the ballot tax, not to let anybody to cheat, and when I read that, she is 28 year old, the deputy chairman of chairwoman of the Istanbul branch. It is very new, and the new elected mayor of Istanbul, we didn't hear him until two, three months ago who he is. Now, as Bitte mentioned, the people are asking him whether he's going to run for the presidency. And there is this new generation of people coming up in the ranks of the main opposition. So, uh, uh, as uh, we, during our journalistic uh, uh, career, we used to uh, uh, exchange uh, the views with uh, foreign correspondents in Istanbul, and the motto was, there is never a dull moment in Turkey. So there will never be a dull moment in Turkey in the future, for sure. And as uh, 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 in these uh, TV commercials in Turkey, we have to say, Stay with us. Keep 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 watching us. So we we have to we have to be hopeful about the democratic future of Turkey. Thank you. And before I turn to the audience, I will just bit. Allow me just to have one reflection. I agree that AKP has become a party which is hollow. I mean, what used to be inside has gone since Erdogan lost touch with his base, and he also alienated his old co-founders of the party, they, don't, they have distanced themselves from him. Uh, but Turkey, of course, needs a social conservative party because there is a popular base for this. So we may see now in the future a new party emerging. We've been hearing about this from people who've been alienating themselves from, from uh, Erdogan for years, uh, like the former speaker Arinj and like the former president Gül, etc., they may not be the ones who will come up with a new party, but I think also within the ranks of the social conservatives, we might see some. And those are also actually, um, 
unhappy with the fact that Turkey is tilting more and more towards Russia, uh, even though there is so much anti-Western sentiment or anti-US sentiment in, in Turkey, people know, knowing the economy, that Turkey needs good connections to the West. Thank you. Uh, so let's uh, see if we have any questions. Um, please present yourself with name and, and uh, keep your questions short, preferably. Uh, one here. Professor, uh, Human Rights, uh, Stockholm University and Suits. Um, thank you very much, uh, panelists. Uh, you gave a very um, uh, detailed picture and uh, description of what's happening here now in Turkey. And uh, uh, I wonder, you did not mention anything about foreign policy. Well, there were some bits at the end here. And, and the role of foreign policy uh, concerning causes of this, uh, the results of these elections. Uh, as we all know, the intensity of uh, the conflicts in Syria, surrounding areas, uh, has in decreased a bit, even if there is turmoil and intense conflicts. And of course, that before was a strong reason for having a so-called strongman as Erdogan. But in, in times of turmoil, it is very, very important to have a strong leader. That is how many supporters of Erdogan probably have reasoned. And, and, but now we see a changed uh, a situation that is changed uh, around Turkey. And, and of course, you mentioned economy as one of the crucial factors. Uh, so, someone said here that uh, one person said it's only about economy. And, and, uh, but uh, I, I think uh, a more nuanced picture would be also to include this kind of foreign policy consideration and security policy. Thank you. And one up here as well. Yep. Please. Uh, hello. My name is Ozan. I'm working as an engineer in the campus. A uh, question to Mr. Chandar. Uh, do you see any factioning within, within AK, AKP, any factioning? And now that we see the results and now we saw that the economy is tanking, do you think there's a clash of interest within the party already? And let's just take a third question for this round and then we'll see if we have time for more uh, up here. Um, thanks, my name is Eric Meyerson. Uh, I'm an economist. Um, so I, th I think, first of all, it's important to note that the elections aren't over. So today there was reports that the AKP is going to appeal all the districts in Istanbul. Um, the win margin in Istanbul was 0.27%. Um, a lot of the discussion centers around the invalid ballots, which in a city like Istanbul is roughly of the order of a quarter of a million uh, votes. So even, even just a random recount could risk changing the election. Um, the other thing that is important to know is, you know, there was a question about the democracy. Um, it's hard to measure democracy, but there are a couple of empirical measures of democracy. And in all of them, it shows Turkey falling from somewhere in close to the median uh, uh, of the world distribution in terms of democracy down to the fifth percentile. Um, the third thing that leads up to the actual question is the scale of the loss, if, if accepted, has enormous economic consequences. So Paul was cl close to this, but basically before this election, the government had local control 
of roughly 75% of Turkish GDP. After this election, it has local control of 30%. Now, if you combine the possible closeness of, of uh, uh, the elections, the low level of the democracy and the degree to which the government wields influence over the judiciary, and the large economic consequences through potential loss of patronage that could end up hurting Erdogan in the next election, how likely is it that the government will work to overturn the election? And if they don't, how sustainable is it to have um, such a powerful opposition locally and such a powerful uh, uh, government centrally? Thanks. Thank you. Who wants to start? Then I suggest Jenga uh, starts with a question. Let me start with Hans Igvar's question on the foreign policy. The, um, very accurate question, actually. Uh, we didn't mention anything, but uh, there is not much to address the, at this very juncture concerning the foreign policy issues. But I can only refer to uh, Mr. Erdogan's uh, this traditional Balkan speech that he delivered uh, around 2 a.m. Uh, Stockholm time, uh, yesterday early morning, and uh, the, he mentioned in his uh, speech, in a very short part of his speech, he mentioned whether we, we could uh, consider this foreign policy op uh, approach, that he underlined once again that uh, they will not let uh, the things to get out of control in eastern, east of Euphrates and Membich area of Syria. So uh, just uh, uh, connoting that he will be pursuing his uh, nationalist anti-Kurdish agenda uh, uh, with the threat of military intervention to Syria, which is the main bone of content, one of the main bones of contention between Turkey and the United States, actually. But the problem, uh, it's mostly uh, uh, turned to be a rhetoric than a real threat, because as long as the American uh, military personnel is in Syria, Turkey cannot step in. It's an open secret for everybody. Or unless the Russians endorse Turkish military intervention to Syria, Turkey cannot do it as well. And the Russians, even they have endorsed the Turkish uh, the freedom of action concerning the occupation of Afrin in the northwestern tip of Syria, they don't let Turkey to move to the east of Euphrates because it's the area for Moscow to be taken over by it's their other client, uh, the regime in Damascus. So uh, it's very uh, ambiguous what sort of a, the foreign policy options that uh, after this election results that the uh, authority in Turkey or the decision makers in Turkey may have. But just because of this ambiguity, I just uh, mentioned in the earlier round that uh, he, he might need to pursue this anti-Kurdish nationalist uh, discourse. Uh, and uh, to add uh, another dimension uh, uh, to the question that uh, Hans Igwar asked, yesterday, uh, literally yesterday, the United States stopped uh, the delivery of the shipments of F-35 uh, fighter jets, uh, which is a, 
very tangible step displaying the American displeasure for Turkey's S-400 missile deal with Russia. So, so uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, um, foreign policy issues, uh, we are even uh, in a more foggy situation uh, after this uh, election results. There is nothing that we can see uh, clearly from uh, where we are. Uh, coming uh, to your questions about the factionism in the AKP, as Bitta mentioned, and as we read in the press, that there are some preparations that the, the discontents of the AKP might uh, uh, start a new political party, like Davutoğlu, former foreign minister, prime minister, or the people uh, related or connected to, to the former uh, president, uh, Abdullah Gül. Uh, uh, until, uh, uh, as uh, again Bitta mentioned, uh, the, the, the cloud on the social conservative segments of the society turns uh, visibly against Erdogan, I cannot see those people have any chance or energy or capacity uh, to, to move forward. So we, uh, there are, uh, of course, uh, uh, factions in the AKP, and uh, uh, given the, the, the share of plunder will be very narrow after these elections because of the loss of those municipalities, uh, uh, then uh, the, the cracks uh, within the party will be deeper and uh, uh, broader. But uh, to, to see it, to transform it into a new political mo movement, we need to wait for a major economic uh, uh, disasters uh, which uh, would have a bearing upon uh, the, the, the party itself. It remains to be uh, seen yet, and we must be prudent. Mr. Erdogan is still a very important and powerful figure. We cannot write him off or erase him just uh, because he, the Istanbul, Ankara, Antalya, uh, Mersin, and Adana has been lost. Thank you. Bitto, uh, you want to? Well, just add, I really think that foreign policy plays a huge importance, but it, it's such a also for the local elections and for the economy because it has affected the Turkish economy tremendously. And with the mistakes that Turkey made in Syria it's, it's, and, and with the number of refugees from Syria, 3.5 million Syrians. And um, we also have then the tilt towards Russia, which has um, also led to US sanctions. I mean, it, which affected the economy. And there might be a new round of U.S. sanctions because of the issue of Turkey acquiring a Russian air defense system, S-400. If you want to, I have wrote a piece about that for the Swedish uh, Defense Research Agency about the, how Turkey is trying to warm up with Russia, yet trying to stay within NATO. And this is a very delicate balancing act. However, U.S. sanctions on Turkey also add to the anti-Western sentiments within uh, Turkey and pushes um, the country also closer to Russia. But Russia cannot offer the economic recovery that Turkey needs. So it's a, it's a very delicate moment now for the country. And there is no really military rationale for Turkey, from my point of view, to buy the Russian air defense system because it's not compatible with the NATO system that Turkey has. There are other reasons behind this. 
Thank you, Paul. Thank you. I, I was thinking about my answer to Eric Mayerson's question, uh, so I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but, but another point to be raised is that if Turkey needs to go to the IMF, then behind the scenes, they're likely going to have, have to have U.S. approval. Formally, it's not the case, but in that case, it'll be tough for them to simultaneously buy Russian uh, anti-aircraft uh, missile. Uh, systems. So um, about Eric's uh, question, I mean, essentially you're, you're, you're saying that there is too much at stake losing these major uh, metropolitan uh, capitals. It's a large share of the, the Turkish economy and it's an important source of, of the power base and then the, uh, both for revenues and, and for, for uh, creating um, uh, followers and providing for, for those who, who are within their network, so to speak. And essentially I, I, I agree with you. Um, but there, I mean, Two issues uh, at stake, and the reason, I mean, I agree with you, and is the same reason why, why Genghis and all the people he spoke to in Turkey on election night and the people I spoke to were saying that he cannot let these cities go. He's going to do anything he can. It's, it's too much at stake. But, um, okay, what can he do and how much is there at stake? Just to modify it slightly, they were just local elections, right? And he now has, we, we have a presidential system in Turkey, which is highly centralized, an already centralized country. And it means that Erdogan uh, now, to a greater extent, after with the new con constitution, sits and controls parts of the, uh, the, the budget uh, and, and uh, purse strings, even on, on the municipal level, to some, some uh, extent. I don't know the exact details, I must admit, but uh, to a greater extent, than before, so uh, we're, we are talking about local elections in a, um, uh, in, a in a highly centralized state still. So we need, need to keep that in mind, and he he maintains uh, a power on the national level. Um, uh, and then it's a question that you know, we have some th these debates within the institute and with, with my fellow ac academics um, and scholars. Is Turkey described best as a totalitarian state, how, or as a dictatorship, or is it best described as many, many political scientists would describe it, namely as a competitive authoritarian state, right? Um, I tend to fall within the, the, the latter camp. Uh, Competitive authoritarianism is is a not not a democratic system, but it's an authoritarian system in which you still have competition, perhaps competition between elites, or you a system in which you gain legitimacy, political legitimacy, uh, by being able to win elections, and you win elections by rigging the elections to a great extent. And these were, as Cengiz pointed out, these were highly heavily rigged elections in the sense that. If you control uh, the media landscape to some 97%, essentially, then that's not a fair system. That's a rigged uh, system. If you use municipal uh, uh, and government resources uh, to pay for your, camp your party's uh, campaign, uh, then that's, uh, that's a rigged system. But uh, to go the step beyond that and, and outright cheat, uh, it, it, it turned out that wasn't necessarily um, as easy uh, at this point in, in time. Um, so winning elections is an important sense of uh, source of legitimacy for, for Erdogan. And I think, uh, you know, um, of course, what what even what pro government pro AKP supporters are saying in my Twitter feed already is you know this is sort of an this is a proof that Turkey is a democratic state. I think that's going way too far, um, but it also does indicate that it's still uh, breathing, even if it's on life support. Thank you, Paul. We actually do have two minutes left, so there is one here with a microphone. So 
please ask your question, but keep it short so we are able to, to get an answer okay. as well. Is it okay? Do you hear me? Um, thank you very much. I have two questions. This is better. Okay. Um, I have two questions. What's going on in Turkey? Of course, no. The hunger strikes in Turkey. And the Leyla Güven, every day of her hunger strike. Thousands, um, more than thousands are in prisons. All over the European countries, USA, all over the world, there are many um, who are hunger strike. Problem is, do you think that in that um, very complicated situation, President Erdogan can accept to take off the um, isolation of Mr. Erdogan and release all those 10,000 political prisoners from jail? That second question. Um, we, we only have time with one question. We only have time, I'm sorry. We only have one minute left for answers. Okay. So Thank who wants to use that minute? Thank you. I got, just got aware that you were sitting and I'm standing up and there's a stool here. So, so I, I didn't want to share the power with our dear moderator, Aras. It's just because of my negligence. So anyway, the, the, the answer to your question is very short. No. That's it. Thank you all. Ask me the question whether Mr. Erdogan will respond to these hunger strikes and change his attitude uh, regarding the isolation of uh, Mr. Rojalan, who is in prison. I would say, as far as I can read the situation and the mind of Mr. Erdogan, I would say simply no. Not because that I share this feeling, but no. Thank you. Uh, to the panel, and thank you also to the audience who have come today. Uh, join me in a round of applause. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube, where you can watch our seminars and interviews.